Good morning, everybody. Uh, so this morning, I get to present the hope of Christ to all of you. And so I count it a joy and an honor uh, to be able to do so. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll start. Father, uh, it, is, it is an honor, it is a weighty honor uh, that, that um, I in no way feel qualified for or deserving for to be able to share the hope of your son uh, with this family. Uh, and yet you've placed me here today, and so I ask that you would give me um, the words to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very evident in this place. I, I pray that uh, you would speak through me, that I would be moved aside and... Uh, those here would see you, and those at home listening or watching uh, would see you and not me. And may your words uh, come alive to us today. And we love you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to show you a picture. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who's that? That's me and my dad right there. Me and my dad. Which one's me? <laughs> <clears throat> Yep, that's me on the left, and I am super proud to be with my dad at that point. I am, like, so honored to, to like, be, you know, he's the man. I mean, I'm sitting there, oh, this is my dad. Oh, yeah, you know? And that kind of, that, that's, this picture of my dad is one of my most favorite pictures of him. And uh, he's just... Uh, my dad, he, he, the way I thought about him growing up, and, and actually if you would look at him today, even though he's, today he's 86, so he was 44 there, uh, and I was a lot younger than I am now, um, and uh, so my dad had these Popeye arms, right? He had, he's got these big forearms, right? And I don't know if he's like in the middle of chewing, or, or you know, is he squinting with because it's sunny outside, uh, I don't know, I know we're picnicking, I know that much, but he's got this, I could just, uh, you know, he's got that kind of, the, almost like a scowl, and, and, and so my dad is just, um, my dad, uh, he was a construction worker, and so he would, he would uh, be out, you know, for all hours of the day, working his tail off, busting it uh, in construction, and he would come home, and I remember him then stretched out on the floor. He'd have his work boots on, and then we had a tile floor in our kitchen. So I remember him stretched out. He'd have his tile, uh, his feet in the tile, because, you know, didn't want to get mom's rugs dirty. And yet the rest of him was laying on the rug, and he'd be fast asleep because he just wiped out. And so then he'd get up, have dinner, go outside, and he'd work his tail off some more on our behalf. And so my dad was just this... Um, this tough, I mean, urgh, this, this guy, I remember waking up one morning to the sound of a jackhammer. And I was so happy to get up to the sound of a jackhammer, right? That I, I look outside, there's my dad with this jackhammer, jackhammering our patio. I can't remember why. All I remember is that this dude's out there with his green work pants on, his work boots, his, his white t-shirt. He's probably sweaty. He's got those big Popeye busting up this concrete. And so I remember my dad is just this, just this, uh, I loved him. I'd go to the construction sites with him and pick up the, you know, the little knockouts from the electrical boxes. You know, I think they were quarters. Hey, Pete, here's a quarter. Awesome, right? And then I found out that you can't put those in vending machines and after that one incident, but we'll take, talk about that later. So 
Um, You know, my dad was just the man, and yet, as tough as he was, because he was a tough dude. You know, one time I was eating a sandwich, Pete, maybe he's eating a ham sammy there, I don't know. One time I ate ate a sandwich, and there was a hornet that came and landed, and I bit it, and I just kept on chewing. You know, it's like, hey. Um, That's not a tattoo on his right elbow. So we were kind of wondering that. I'd never seen that. Maybe he had it removed. But So as tough as my dad was and is, my dad is also super tender, super tender, um, and willing to serve. He drove a school bus for, to go pick up kids for Awanas. And I remember just driving, you know, and I'm sitting in the front, and my dad, man, look at this, and I'm behind him. And... and uh, and yet I remember my dad being so, so tender as I was growing up that, that he, uh, there was one time I, I uh, had talked to my dad about wanting to get baptized. And I remember kneeling at the pew uh, with my dad here and I'm here and the pastor's here. And, and so I, I prayed and there was just this interaction there. And I remember my dad just crying in tears for me that, that that I would want to be baptized. And so I saw my, I've seen my dad cry, you know, uh, enough to know that there is just this tender-hearted man inside. And I've kind of liked the guy in a lot of ways, um, you know, some that I like and some that I don't like so much, but I re- recognize that, you know, when I yell, I can't yell. I have no outside voice, so... Um, my dad does not either. So when he, you know, when I yell sometimes now, I think my dad's in the house. No, it's me. When I bend over sometimes and pick, you know, I pick up, you know, this thing, I kind of do this. All right, elbow on the knee, kind of bend over like this. And I discovered once as I was doing that, oh, that's my dad. I bend over just like my dad. Oh man, you know. It was, and and so I didn't really like that at first, you know. And I and I called him up. We went on vacation just recently. Went up. Uh, uh, we went on this long road trip, and uh, so we stopped at a rest stop, and we ate out of the cooler, the green, epic, vintage cooler. We used to do that as a kid growing up. We'd stop at these rest stops, and then, you know, at one point, I remember I'd bought some Windex. I, I know, just I'm weird, but I bought some Windex and some paper towels, and I'm cleaning the windows of the van before going out the next morning with the family. My dad used to do that, so on the way home, I called him, Dad. I carried on the tradition, <laughs> cleaning the windows, and I talked to strangers, you know? <laughs> so my dad just, I'm telling you, my dad, I love my dad. And, and it's, it's amazing how much smarter my dad became after I turned about 25, because between 18 and 25, he just really wasn't that smart. And all of a sudden, I turned 25, and he got started to get really smart, and I don't know what that was about my dad. But now he's like this super wise rock star in my eyes. And there's some things that I am like my dad just because. I didn't study him. I mean, I watched him growing up, and I'm sure I caught some things. But there's just some things about me that are like my dad just because I am his son. Then there's some things that, that I want to uh, be like my dad because um, I see his heart. And uh, f- I think a couple months ago, uh, for whatever reason, we're down there visiting. I, we're down there for a reason to visit. But, but for whatever reason, he gave me this three-ring binder. My dad said, hey, Pete, would you, you know, kind of nonchalant. Hey, would you be interested in, you know, just you know, having this, this journal of mine? Yes, I would. 
Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, I start paging through this journal, and I got my dad's permission last night to be able to share a line out of here. But this journal is full of his, his thoughts from 2008 to 2010. A couple of years of thought. That's a lot of thought, man. Look at that. All sorts of thoughts and frustrations. And he's going through uh, scripture, and he's talking to his father. And he's pouring his heart out on paper. And I read this and I think, my dad is the man. Absolutely the man. <clears throat> so he says here on February 29, he's 78 and a half years old. 78 and a half. Uh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the, a life of separation. He says, your cross means separation. To a life of separation from the world and self. Holy Spirit, would you teach me what it means in this, in its fullest extent? I am still learning, still stumbling, still mumbling, still half-hearted. Still trying to do the things, still trying to do things on my own way. Will I ever make it to the promised land? I'll ever make it. He's 78 and a half years old and he's following Jesus and he's searching and yearning and wanting so badly to be a man that follows God. And so when I read that, I don't just want to imitate, I don't just want to resemble him. I want to, I want to pursue him. I want to be like that guy who's humble and tender and yet tough as nails and willing to jackhammer the patio. You know, to be like that guy. So how about you? Who do you resemble? You know, is there someone in your life that you can look at, maybe that you are pursuing, because you think so much of that person, who they are, and that you want to be like them? And I understand, not everybody's going to have a dad. My dad's not perfect, okay? There's a lot of stories on the other side, right, that, that could be told. But at the same time, um, you know, I know that some of your dads, you want nothing to do with some of your dads. I, I get that. And, and so you don't have that. But is there someone that, that you might resemble and that you might want to uh, pursue? Because again, a man, I want to be, man, there'd be no greater honor for me for than someone who knows me and then someone who knows my dad to be able to say, hey, Pete, you are a man after your dad's heart. Awesome, that would be an honor. That would be an honor. Uh, and so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to open another binder of sorts. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles. And we're going to look at a, uh, we're gonna look at a passage in the Old Testament as we continue on in our covenant series. Uh, we're going to look at someone who resembles someone else. We're going to look at uh, King David uh, and Paul as he's talking uh, to, uh, to folks there. We find in Acts 13.22, he says, and he quotes uh, Old Testament, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David is like me and he pursues me. And so we're going to look at that. And yet at the same time, we know that David wasn't, he wasn't perfect. And John Ortberg, in his latest book, just finished that book, uh, he says, David is called a man after God's heart. This can be a little confusing, 
when you get into his story because he's guilty of adultery and murder and cover-up. He's a train wreck as a husband. He's worse as a dad. But his heart belongs to God. His whole life is immersed in the presence and story of God. What lights him up is to serve God and to love God. And when he messes up, and he does, he repents and wants to get right with God again. So we're going to examine the life of an imperfect man after God's own heart. So uh, to kind of get us into our story, from a Jewish source, there's a, uh, they, they tell the story, it tells a story of, uh, of David. And here's what it says. In Bethlehem in Judea, there once lived a noble and respected Jew whose name was Jesse. He had eight clever, talented sons, the youngest of whom was David. David was a very modest youth, and he looked after his father's flocks. In his heart burned an ardent love for God and of his people, which he expressed in the psalms he composed in playing on the harp. He also felt a deep love for his lambs and for every living creature. Whenever he brought out his flocks to pasture, he led the young lambs to graze among the fresh, tender young grasses, for they had not yet any teeth. He had great physical courage and was not afraid of any wild animal. Indeed, he feared nothing and no one except God alone. Whenever a lion or a bear attacked his flocks and herds and wished to seize a sheep or a cow, David would rush at the savage beast and chase it away and rescue its prey. God therefore said, one who can so faithfully tend his animals, each according to its needs, I can safely entrust with the care of my holy lambs, my people. Meanwhile, the prophet Samuel was greatly distressed that King Saul had disappointed his hopes in the war against Amalek, and had, as a result, shown himself unworthy of his crown. But God said to Samuel, put an end to your tears, go to Bethlehem, and there anoint one of Jesse's sons as the future king. The Hebrew kingdom will remain with him and his children and his children's children forever, for he is truly fitted for it. The prophet Samuel came to Bethlehem and informed Jesse of God's command. Jesse had his sons brought before the prophet one at a time. Samuel wished to anoint the eldest son, who was handsome and clever and had a noble character. But God said to him, this is not the one. He therefore wanted to anoint the second, but Samuel understood that this son, too, was not to be the future king. And so it happened with each one in turn. And Samuel found himself in difficulties and asked, have you another son? Yes, replied Jesse, my youngest son, David, is in the field looking after my flocks. Samuel asked David be, that David be immediately brought to him, and when Samuel heard God's voice declaring, this is the one who, I chose, who I've chosen, Samuel anointed David as the king who was to succeed Saul, and Samuel then returned home. What effect did this have on David? Did he become proud? Did he dress himself in royal robes? Not at all. He went back to his sheep. But a heavenly spirit surrounded him. His prayers, his psalms, and his music, full of his divine spirit, traveled and spread across the hills of Judah, and whoever heard them felt as if a new soul had awakened in him. The sad person was filled with joy. The downcast felt his heart revive. He who had lost hope regained his faith, and all exclaimed, Listen, it is the son of David, the son of Jesse, who is singing. And when King Saul fell into a mood of despair, he was told that there was a wonderful youth playing on the harp, and whose singing drove away all evil spirits. From that time, David used to play and sing before King Saul, calming and comforting him. Even later, when King David ascended the throne, he always kept his heart beside him to compose sweet, sacred songs, known to us as the Psalms of David. 
King David's fame spread to the neighboring nations. He set himself to the task of establishing peace, and the kings around wished to make him peace, wished to make peace treaties with him. To the northwest of the land of Israel lay the kingdom of Tyre, famous for its craftsmen, the ruler of which was Hiram. Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his best builders and artists to erect a splendid palace for David and to build beautiful mansions in David's new capital of Jerusalem. King David should have been contented, but he was disturbed by the thought that while his palace and capital city were now built with great splendor, the holy ark of God still lodged in a tent, screened only by curtains. So this is where we pick up our story of David. We see David taken from uh, the pastures, tending sheep, and for whatever reason, chosen by God. God says, you know what? You are a man after my own heart. I love who you are, and I will take you out of where you're at, and I will put you into leadership. And yet, after all of David's journey of, of being installed as a leader, and after um, running for his life from Saul, and after marrying Saul's daughter, and after running for his life some more, and after being installed as the king, he finds himself sitting in his palace, and he has an idea. He says, here I am living in a house of cedar where the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan said, go do what you want to do. God has this idea, I want to do, I am sitting here in my huge palace, ornate and comfortable. And God's ark, the sacred and holy ark, is only in a tent. So David has this idea, I want to do something for God. And yet we find in the next few verses that God, through Nathan, says this. He says, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, time out, David. I appreciate your idea, but you're not the one. You're not the one to build this at this point. I still love you. You're still my servant, but you're not the one. But here's what he says. I have something better. And here's these, these, three, these three promises of our father to David. He says, David, you know what? Thanks, but I got this covered. I want to do something else, something bigger. So here's what it is. David, here's what I'm going to here's what I'm. Here's what I'm going to do. Tell my servant David, this is the Lord Almighty. He says, I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. David, I have been with you. Part of my promise has been fulfilled that I have been with you. Through those lonely nights, tending those ungrateful sheep, that always need food and always need water, to running for your life, to doing battles for me on my behalf. David, I've been with you. And do you think David recognized that fact? Do you think that he knew kind of what, what had been happening? Kind of did, do you think he recognized that promise and realized that that was already uh, accomplished, that promise? I think, 
I think we do. I think he did. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. And if you would read the rest of uh, 18, I'd love, again, to read all the Psalms to you right now because I love them, absolutely love the Psalms, but I won't. Uh, That would take a long time today. Um, But if you were to read the rest of 18, you would see that God gets angry. And David David describes how, how with smoke and fire, God raises up out of his heaven and comes to the rescue of the one who is after his heart. He rescues him. He was with him. And so my question uh, to all of us uh, today is, because I ask these questions of myself too, how in my life has God been with me? How can I look back over the history of my life and point to certain episodes and think, man, God has kept his promise and he's been with me. You know, through your uh, relational conflict, you know, through, through the conflict that you've been in, through the, the decisions that you have made, maybe it was infidelity in one of your, uh, in you or your, or your spouse. How has God been there through that? How has he been through uh, if, uh, when you have been, uh, man, even just the physical ache of aging? Some are further along than I am. And it's hard for me to get out of bed sometimes. I feel like I'm just going to you know, collapse and my knees are going to give out and stuff. Just how has he been with us even during the physical part of our lives? How has he saved you? How has he been that shepherd? We go on in our, first, in our second Samuel passage. God says, hey, listen, I've kept this promise, but I'm going to make you another promise. I've been with you. Here's the next thing. David, I'm going to make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and I will also give you rest from your enemies. God says, I'm going to make your name great, a place for people, and rest. He says, I will remain with you. David, I make you a promise right here today because I love you, because you are my son, I'm going to do this for you, that I'm going to remain with you. And do you think David knew? Do you think David trusted the Father? I read in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And how, here's my question, how he's been with you. How is he with you right now? How is he with you right now? Because he's made that promise to David. He's making, that, again, that promise to us. How is he with you right now? How is he with you as he try to blend two families together? That's tough. How do, how do you take 
these things and, and make these things go together? How, how, do you, how is he with you as you add another baby to your family, as he adds to your family? How, do you, how is he with you as you're coming to terms with your dad's abandonment of your family? How is he caring and shepherding you as you prepare to leave for college, as you prepare for your kids to leave for college? How is he with us right now? So God says again, David, I've kept my promise. I've been with you. And guess what? It's going to get even better. I will always be with you. My covenant, I will always be with you. Remember, again, covenant, if I didn't mention it before, a covenant is God's promise. God's promise. John Piper talks about a covenant and says, it's God's job description. I thought that was a pretty cool, pretty, pretty cool way to explain a covenant. It's God's job description. It's what God will do for us. Doesn't have much to do with us. It has everything to do with God. And God says, I love you, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I've been with you, and I'll be with you now. And guess what, David? Gets even better. The Lord declares that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by humans' hands. And we know that God is referring to Solomon after David. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Catch this. Your house, your kingdom, and your throne will be established forever. Your house, your kingdom, and your throne will be established forever. God says, I will give you a legacy not only have I been with you, not only am I with you right now as you live and you breathe, but I will always be with you. I will give you a legacy that will carry on after you die forever, forever. I mean, I, I, forever to me seems like a long time. But, you know, forever seems like an hour and a half in Chicago traffic, Right? <laughs> I some choice words on Wednesday. That's a different story, and I've asked for forgiveness, and I'm cleansed. But <clears throat> forever, that to me, an hour and a half sitting there, it was forever. Forever to God, something completely different. Completely different. That's a long, long time. I will give you a legacy. Now, I, I know my father has left me a legacy. I know that uh, uh, he has just, you know, been my dad and provided and loved me when, quite honestly, I should not have been loved. I mean, you know, just the boneheaded dumb stuff that I was, and sometimes still do, that he could just say, I'm out, but he continues to love me. And I've seen how he's loved his family and strangers and loved his wife of 60 plus years. But I know that he still is building into me and trying to leave that legacy. And that legacy thing, I remember sitting, so I'm in the van on Wednesday saying goodbye uh, to my mom and dad. You know, we said goodbye in the house, said goodbye in the garage, and then we said goodbye sitting in the car, right? And so I got the windows in the van open, Sherry's here, I'm here, uh, and dad and I are talking, and Sherry and mom are talking, uh, and, and my dad is just, you know, my dad, uh, here's the last words that he said to me before uh, we drove away. 
He says, stay the course. Lord willing, you'll have many more years to be a part of the plan. Stay the course. Don't give up, Pete. I took that as don't give up. I have faith in you. I love you. I love you. I think that's what God is saying to David. Hey, stay the course. There's going to be a legacy. Check this out. And so what's David's response to this? Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. He goes in, he sits before the Lord. I don't know what that looks like. Is it sitting on a chair? Is it lying down? Is it figuratively sit? I don't know. But you can almost imagine him going in saying, I can't believe this. You're doing this for me. You know who I am in my heart. You know everything that I'm about inside and out, and you love me anyway. Love me anyway. David will write in Psalm 139, you know me, you know my thoughts. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know everything about me. And I always add, and he loves me anyway. He knows everything. So David didn't know how it was gonna work out. He didn't know that this promise, this legacy, God saying, hey, look, um, I got this temple thing, but tell you what, these three promises, I've been with you, I'm gonna remain with you, and I'm gonna give you a legacy, these three things. David didn't know how this legacy thing was gonna play out. He just, he trusted God. He knew that it was gonna work somehow, but we know. And if we read through the Old Testament, which again, we're not gonna do now, but if you read, read in, in, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about one shepherd. It's almost as if uh, when Ezekiel writes this after David's time, because the the Israel was, after David, at some point, dispersed. They were conquered and dispersed. And there was the Israelites living all over. And Ezekiel says, sometime, I'm going to bring them all back together under one shepherd. Jeremiah says, the days are coming when I'm going to raise a righteous branch. He says, too, wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. Isaiah, then, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. These prophets knew and they were saying, wait for it, it's coming. God's promise is going to be fulfilled. And then we see, we read, where the angel Gabriel is sent to Mary and says, hey Mary, you get to be a part of this legacy. You get to be a part of this covenant and this plan. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Recognize those three words? Throne, house, kingdom. The promise that was made to David many, many years before looked as though, how could this ever come true? And the prophet said, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Finally comes through Jesus born to the house of of Joseph, who was of the line of David. God fulfills his promise all the way through. And then we read. We read. Joseph went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to to Judea from Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, and because there was no room for them in the inn. 
in verse 13. I've got to read this one. Can't, can't do it without us. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The promise fulfilled. The promise fulfilled. And the promises made to David are God's promises to us. We are, we get to be, whether we want to or not, a part of that legacy. We get to be the benefactors of God saying to David, I love you. I know who you are inside now, but I'm going to bless you anyway. And I'm going to establish a kingdom and a throne and a house forever for us, Green Bay Community Church. And so, uh, you know, we're going to close, and as the band comes back up, uh, can I ask you a question? Whose heart are you after? Who do you resemble? And I'd like to just offer that you and I resemble the one who made us. We know. We know that we were made in the image of our Father, and we can't help resembling in some way, shape, or form him. We can't help desiring something greater than what we experience right now. We can't help that because we are made in him image, his image, and we resemble him. But are we pursuing him? And as a Christ follower, uh, man, I, my response, my answer to the question of who, whose heart are you after, often it's not the one person's heart I want to be after but my heart is for Christ and to pursue Christ and my response to this this line of study that I've done is like whoa I get to be a part of this legacy I get to be a part of this man I'm so blessed God knows me in and out and he loves me anyway he's doing this just because I'm his son just because you're his daughter. He's doing that for you and doing that for me. But I would not be, I would not be, man, I would be missing it if I did not ask you, if you are not a Christ follower this morning, why not today? Why not today take a hold of that relationship? You were wired, you were built to resemble our Father in heaven. His heart is for you. His heart has been with you. He is with you right now, and he will be with you in the future. And, and he will, he has provided a way for you to have a relationship with him through his son. I'll close with these words from Isaiah. Come, to, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And that's what he says to you. If you are not yet in a relationship with Christ today, that's what he's saying to you. And so I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll, uh, excuse me, continue. And Father, uh, I pray that you would call uh, to our hearts, all of our hearts today, that uh, you would reveal yourself, especially to those uh, who do not yet have that relationship with your son. I pray that, our, that you might call to them, they might respond. And to those of us who are following you, Father, thank you. We praise you, we celebrate, we are so honored because of your covenant with David and your covenant with us. You love us and your heart is for us. And Father, uh, I, I pray that uh, these next few minutes, uh, just you might touch us in a special way. We love you.
Amen.